All right, if you have your Bible, we are Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be um, taking a look at the continuing story of our friend Saul, who we looked at last week. Uh, before we get there, though, um, I wanted to encourage you to come out tonight, uh, 6 o'clock. Um, if, you're, if you're planning to be here for the, um, the new members class, we're going to be meeting at 5 o'clock back here in this room. Uh, just to discuss a few things about what it, what membership is here at Grace Baptist. Um, and then at 6, uh, after our time of prayer, we're going to continue uh, looking at Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Uh, it's the, the Sermon on the Mountain. I was looking at our calendar and I realized we're going to be there a long time because I'm only preaching one Sunday night in the month of June. So that'll be tonight. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's great. Um, next, yeah. This one right here. She's going to love me after this message, trust me. Um, uh, next Sunday night, uh, it, I, some of you all m- may remember, but um, down the road, Fellowship Bible Church, they have a, their, their youth group. Uh, every summer, they go to a different comp- or they go to a competition. I think it's out in Ohio or Colorado someplace. Uh, and they have different events that they compete in, singing and uh, different things. And they have a preaching competition um, where the, the, the young men that want to participate... They uh, prepare a sermon. They work on it for a long time. Uh, Pastor Mark really fine tunes it. Um, and then I contacted him and I said, hey, just you know, this was just out of lark. He's like, I said, hey, do you have anybody who wants to come preach? And he goes, how about next Sunday? I said, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, was, uh, I wasn't expecting it to be that quick. But uh, two, two of the guys that will be uh, competing in the uh, preaching competition uh, when they go uh, next month will be coming to uh, just get some uh, practice on their sermons. So uh, they'll be with us, hopefully. Uh, we're still trying to lock down all the details, but uh, I'm, I know that they would uh, really appreciate your support if you could come out for that. So, all right, Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. Um, some of y'all know this. Hopefully, we, we've been with you for a little while, so hopefully you know what I'm about to tell you. Um, but my wife, Tina, and I, we have five children, right? I, I know that, that it seems like sometimes there's more than that, but... Um, we have five children. We have four boys and we have a little girl. And one of the great joys of being a parent and also one of the great challenges, and those of you that have children know, and those of you that are going to have children, oh, you, what I'm about to tell you doesn't even begin to cover what, what, what happens. One of the great joys and one of the great challenges of being a parent is teaching your children all of the basic life skills that they need in order to be a functioning human being. When a child is born, they can't do anything except for cry, pee, and poop. All right? That's all they can do. They have to be taught everything else. Jack over here, I'm going to embarrass him. The first time I picked Jack up, you know what he did? Peed through his diaper all over my shirt. I had to go to the mall down the road with pee on my shirt to get a new shirt. It, it was awesome. Yeah, he loves that story. Um, but they, they can do, a, a baby can do absolutely nothing for themselves. But as they grow, as parents, our job is to guide them and help them with the things that they need to learn. So um, we, we, we teach them how to use utensils. Some of my children still are learning that. We teach them how to use utensils in order to eat without getting it all over their hair and all over their face. We teach them how to drink out of a cup so they're not 19 using a sippy cup. We teach them how to go to the bathroom and and how to clean themselves in the shower, how to brush their teeth, how to put their clothes on. We teach them 
all of these things. And I say it's a great joy because when they do it, for the, when they do it by themselves, we get all excited. But there's all of that challenge leading. Why did you just do it that way? What is wrong with you? you know, we all, we, well, maybe that's just me who has these thoughts. Um, right? and, and, and there's a lot of discussion about a child's behavior and whether they're nurtured to act that way or whether it's nature that helps them that way. But re- regardless of all of those arguments, we all know that children who are loved and taught, who are taken care of, generally have a better life than those that are just ignored, right? You've all seen those, those movies about the feral children that lived in the woods, and you know, the first time somebody sees them, they like ninja kicked them, and you know, that kind of thing. Last week, we, we took a look at, at the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 9, we took a look at Saul and his conversion on the way to Damascus. If you remember, or you can go back and read it, he, he had these letters from the high priest, and he was on his way to Damascus because he heard there were a bunch of Christians there. There was a, a thriving church there. He was going to go break it up. He was going to grab those guys, bring them back, throw them in jail. Because Saul hated what he referred to as the way. And on the way there, as he was going to do all of these things, he had this encounter with Jesus. There was this great, there, there was a light brighter than the noonday sun. He fell down on the ground. Jesus told him, hey, all of those things that you've been doing that you think are good, you've been doing them against me. And Saul was confronted face to face with the depravity of his sin, the depths of it. But in the midst of that, instead of Jesus condemning him, Jesus actually forgave him for those sins and through his grace saved Saul. Now, the passage that we're going to read here in just a moment, it actually picks up on this story, things that are happening concurrently to what's going on, uh, and it gives the perspective of the same story from a different person who was involved. So that's what we're going to take a look at here. So grab your Bible if you got it. Uh, Let me read. I'm going to read um, Acts chapter 9, 10 through 18, and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll dive into this thing. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied, get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord asked him. As I was writing this yesterday, as I was reading over this, I wondered if there was like a a curved street and a crookedy street, like is there a bumpy street and do you, anyway, moving on. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with our time together as we, as we dive in, continue the story of Saul. We dive in uh, and, and see, um, as believers, what our responsibility is to those who have just put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, this is a, uh, a message the, the, from the 
the way you're going to look at that, that deals specifically to us as believers, those of us who have already trusted you. But Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted you, has never had an opportunity to put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, open their hearts, so that um, they, can be, they can be shown their sin and, and the need for salvation. Lord, we ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, now as we dive into this thing, we're going to take a look at, um, as, as I just prayed, as believers, as those of us who have trusted Christ, we actually have a responsibility, just like as parents we have a responsibility to our children, we have a responsibility to those who have just put their faith in Jesus Christ to help them as they are growing. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see these, the things that our responsibilities are, the guidance of the believer, the knowledge of the believer, and the partnership of the believer. So the first thing in Acts chapter 9, uh, 10 through 15, we're going to see the guidance of the believer. Now, as, as we read, um, I, or as I was talking, I said, when we left Saul, he had been led into Damascus. In, in the first part of this, he was charging down there, ready to just go in like a bull in a china shop and, and, and grab everybody that called on Jesus' name, throw them in irons, lock them up, drag them back to Jerusalem. After he met Jesus, he still continued on to Damascus, but instead of going in as, as a force, he was actually being led by the hand, by the, the men who were there with him. And so once he got there, he spent three days praying and fasting, trying to figure out have his life rebuilt. Um, and while this is taking place, there was another man in the city, a guy named Ananias. And Ananias, he, it, it, not much is known about him, um, but given just the context of what's happening here, it's very likely that Ananias was one of the leaders of the church in Damascus. So the irony of this is that God appears to Ananias and tells him, hey, I'm going to send you to go help Saul, Saul was on his way to destroy Ananias's life. Basically, he was going to have him locked up, thrown in prison. Um, so while all of this is happening, Ananias gets a vision. Acts chapter 9 tells us that God appeared to him in a vision and told him that Saul was nearby and was waiting for him. So while he's having this vision uh, of Saul waiting for him, Saul's having a vision of Ananias showing up and helping him out. In fact, God gives Ananias the exact address of where he's supposed to go. He's, he, I, in my head, I, I had this terrible joke, and I was, as I was typing, I, was, I put this terrible joke in about how he had the HGPS, the Holy Ghost Positioning System. See, somebody laughed. Thank you. All right, I know it's pity, but... Um, <laughs> But anyway, God gave him the exact address. He said, listen, you're going to go to Straight Street. You're going to go to a street called Straight, Straight Street, as uh, we heard it in college. You're going to ask for this guy named Judas. In his house, there's this guy named Saul. You're going to go help Saul out. Um, now, as to be expected, Ananias was like, uh, are, you, are you sure about this? Because okay, really? I've heard stories about this dude. I've heard stories about Saul. I know what he's up to. I know why he's in town. Are you sure this is the guy that you want us to go see? And Jesus said, or the Lord said, yes, that's the guy that, that you're going to go see. Now, I don't think that Ananias was trying to get out of obeying God. I think he was just a little apprehensive. 
You know, he, he had this mission and he's going, right? And he was, he was a little nervous about it. I think we've all been there. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, I hope he doesn't mind. I'm going to put him on the spot here. Um, Eric just started a new Sunday school class this morning. Fantastic job. I mean, he, he did a, a marvelous job. But I can tell you, in talking to Eric, and when I, when I approached Eric several uh, weeks ago, months ago, and said, hey, I want you to start the Sunday school class, he didn't tell me no, but he was apprehensive about it. And anytime God is getting ready to send you on, on, on a, a journey, on a, on a trip, on an adventure is, I guess, what we're going to call it. I guess we can call a Sunday school class an adventure, right? It, it, we should feel slightly apprehensive of that because what God is sending you on is bigger than you are. And if you're not overwhelmed by it, if you're not scared by it, then you probably should check your motives as to, as to why you're doing it. Um, but rather than rebuke Ananias for, for his hesitancy, the Lord tells him that Saul is going to play a major role in his redemptive plan. All of this has been leading to the gospel going out into all of the world. And God says to Ananias, he says, hey, let me let you in on a secret. This dude, Saul over here, he's the guy that I'm going to use. And I'm choosing you, Ananias, to get him started on his journey. I've chosen you, Ananias, because of who you are and your faithfulness to come over here. This guy, he's my chosen instrument, but I'm choosing you, Ananias, to go get him started on that. Right? That may not seem like a big deal. And I know we've got all these Sunday school teachers here in the room, and, and I know I've been talking about Eric, but I don't want to forget all of the Sunday school teachers that, that do our, uh, our, our Sunday morning program. I don't want to forget the teachers that do our, uh, our, our Sunday evening program or when we start our Wednesday night program. I don't, I don't want to ignore you guys. I am grateful for you. But I, I want you to understand that what you're doing is important because, excuse me, what you're doing by teaching our little ones, by teaching our young ones, you are preparing them to be God's chosen instrument. So let me, let me continue here. Now, at this point, Saul is a new believer. He's only, been, he's only had faith in Christ for three days. His entire life up to this point was being a good Jew and being a good Pharisee. That was, that was everything that he was. But as we saw in Acts 9, 1 through, or, yeah, 9, 1 through 9, that world was blown apart when Jesus came into it. Jesus had an encounter, or Saul had an encounter with Jesus and was mercifully saved. But as a new believer, he didn't know what he was supposed to do next. He had no idea what was supposed to happen. And that was where Ananias came in. Ananias was being used by God to help Saul begin to mature and grow as a believer. This is not the job for just special Christians. Sometimes we hear people talk about discipleship, and discipleship is where you are intentional about helping new believers grow. And we hear that, and we go, oh, yeah, that's not me. Guess what? That's everybody. Everybody has the responsibility as a believer to help new Christians grow. Matthew 28, I'm breaking out the big guns on this one. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. These are Jesus, some of Jesus' final words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations if you feel like it. Go and make disciples of all nations if you're one of those special Christians. Right? There is no caveat here. There's no escape clause. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And here's how you're able to do that. Jesus says this, I am with you always. When you feel inadequate, guess what? Jesus is there with you. When you don't know what to say, guess what? Jesus is there with you. When you feel like, you know what? My life is in shambles. How can I teach somebody else? Jesus is there with you. Ananias was apprehensive about going to Saul, but guess what? Jesus was with him. Let me continue. Now, I, I just said this part. We may th- you may be thinking that you can't do this, but we're not really given that option. Here are a few things about Ananias that helped him guide Saul as he began his relationship with God. Or with, yeah, with God. First off, Ananias was sensitive to the voice of God. That's how God was able to appear to him in a vision, was because he was sensitive to the voice of God. And he was not surprised or taken aback by the fact that God was appearing to him. I think if God showed up to me, I'd be like, did I eat some bad pizza? I mean, did, did I have that too much eggnog? You guys know I'm lactose intolerant. It would kill me. But um, he was not surprised. And this sensitivity comes from relying on the Holy Spirit. Relying on the Holy Spirit is how we are sensitive to God's voice. And the way that we rely on the Holy Spirit is we need to constantly be in God's word. And we need to be praying so that we can be sensitive to it. The way that we hear the Spirit is through the Bible. And if we want to hear the Spirit, we have to be in the Bible. I've got something planned for July. I'm hoping some of y'all will come with me on it. Uh, I'll talk about it more as we, as we get a little closer. It, it, it's a challenge, but it's the summer, so everybody likes to do those kind of things. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13, Eric read it earlier. It says, you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God appeared to Ananias because Ananias was sensitive to him. Second thing, Ananias was willing to accept the hard assignments. God told him, he said, hey, you're going to go to Saul. Saul was the baddest dude on the planet right then. All right? If you were a believer, guess who you did not want to run into at Martin's or Walmart? You did not want to run into Saul. Because Saul was the baddest dude on the planet. Going and mentoring Saul was not going to be easy. All right? Because Ananias didn't know what kind of position or or what kind of uh, attitude Saul was going to have when he showed up. I mean, this was the guy that was killing people and throwing them in prison. But on top of that, if Ananias went to Saul, there was a very real possibility that his Christian brothers and sisters over here might go, wait a second, why are you teaming up with that fool? Right? What you talking about, Willis? How come you're hanging out with this guy? You got him over, you got, got, got this going on over here. Saul had a horrible reputation in the Christian community. He was responsible for so much pain and death. But Ananias knew that he had a responsibility to teach Saul what it meant to be a believer, a follower of the way. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says this, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. That was Saul. His name changes to Paul. Paul is writing that years later. He's talking to a guy named Timothy, somebody that he raised up in the faith. And he said, all those things that you've learned from me, I want you to teach them to somebody else so that they in turn can go and teach somebody else. And it continues this cycle. And it all started right here at this house on Straight Street. I like saying that, Straight Street. All right. When we start to disciple and help new believers, it's going to be messy, 
All right, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna cause us to have to get out of our comfort zone. Because new believers, people who have never heard of Jesus before, guess what? They probably don't talk the same way we do. I remember growing up, uh, and my, my parents probably remember this story, we would have this missionary come um, to the church that we would go to, and they, he would tell this story about a new believer who, who had accepted Christ, and he was praying, and, and the, 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 the preacher would say, yeah, I heard more, more F-bombs in that prayer than I've ever heard in my entire life, right? This guy was a new believer. He didn't know that there are certain words that you don't use when you talk to Jesus, right? And, and we can, it, you know, it's going to get messy. It's going to get difficult. And we can do this. We can cross our fingers and go, I can't believe this. What do these kids think they're doing? I can't believe it. What, 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 look at what she's wearing. We could have that attitude or we could say, Come along with me. Let me show you what the scripture says in regards to these things. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to require us to go out of our comfort zones and to work hard. But it's what God has called us to do. And the third thing, Ananias was willing to be obedient to God. Being obedient is the supreme trait and evidence of a true believer. Let me say that one, time, one more time. Being obedient is the supreme trait and evidence of a true believer. If you call yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, you need to be obedient to the things that he is calling you to do. And that means making disciples. That means being in church and reading your Bible and spending time in prayer. Because if those things are absent from your life, you may need to check your relationship with Jesus. Because if you are obedient, then you're going to do the things that he tells you to. Just like Abraham followed God, Ananias listened to God's instructions and went to Saul. And as we are guiding new believers, we need to be obedient to God's calling. This may be inconvenient at times. That's the worst thing you can do to somebody, is inconvenience them, right? That's why, <laughs> forgive me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on some, that's why our Sunday evening service has about five people show up, because it's inconvenient, right? Nobody wants to come back out of the house on Sunday night. Let me tell you, there are times I don't even wanna come on Sunday night. I'm like in my chair, I'm reading a book, I'm drinking a cup of coffee, I'm like, oh, it's 5.30, I gotta go to church, right? When we inconvenience people, it, it, they, they get upset with us. Sometimes when we're being obedient, it's inconvenient. But because we're called to it, we need to do those things. It may completely rock our worlds, but we can know that God is sovereign and in control. All of those things. Jeremiah 29, 11, this verse gets taken out of context all the time, but hopefully I'm using it in context. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The new believer needs our guidance. The second thing is the new believer needs the knowledge of the believer. Acts chapter 9, 15 and 16, let me read them again. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The Lord revealed his plan to Ananias. It, we talked about Abraham just a second ago. In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God goes to Abram and says, hey, dude, pack up your stuff and hit the road. He doesn't tell him what he's going to do. He doesn't tell him why he's going to do. He didn't tell him any of these things. He just says, go. Right? To Ananias, Ananias, he said, go. And then he said, but let me tell you why you're going. 
God doesn't always do that, but in this particular case, he did. He gave him a specific message to give to Saul. Ananias was to tell him two things. The first thing, he was to tell Saul that he was a chosen instrument of God with a specific task. And the second was that Saul was going to suffer for Christ. All right. Every believer is chosen by God. Right? If you're sitting here today and you are a believer, there was a time where you trusted Christ to take away your sins. So you said, Lord, I know, or you said, Jesus, I know that you lived this perfect life. You died on the cross from in my place so that I don't have to suffer that punishment. You died for me. Three, you were buried three days later. You came back to life showing that the sacrifice was accepted. Lord, I trust in that, I believe that, and because I'm believing that, I know you're going to take my sins away. If there was a time that you did that, the reason that all of that took place was because God chose you to have it happen. All right, John chapter 15, verse 16 says this, you did not choose me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, his followers. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. We are God's chosen instruments. The, uh, Ephesians chapter one, verses four through six say this, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, in the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved. This message of our identity is vital for a new believer to understand. I'm going to go a step further. It's vital for those of us that are maturing in Christ to understand. We need to know that as believers, the reason that we're believers is because God chose us. Right? That should make you feel awesome, that you are God's chosen instrument. Let that sink in for just a second. You are God's chosen instrument. So those days where you're feeling down, where you're feeling low, and trust me, Tina will tell you, I suffer a lot of those days. I go through those, those periods quite a bit. You can rest in the fact that you are God's chosen one, and it will help you walk through that. It is vital for us to know that. We need to know and understand that we are God's chosen, and as God's chosen ones, we have a specific role and a specific mission. Your mission may be different than my mission, right? Not everybody has the mission to stand up here and, and, and preach the gospel to a church and to lead a church to do things for their community. Not everybody has that, but we are all given the ability to bring glory to God's name through our lives. The way we live our lives should be a testimony to the fact that we are God's chosen ones. A believer is a child of God. Saul was, was to be told that he was God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. If you're here today and you are a believer, you are God's chosen instrument to your particular neighborhood, right? The fact that you live in the house, and you know where I'm going with this. Some of you that have been, been listening to me for a while, you know where this is going to end up. You are God's chosen instrument to your neighborhood. If you live here in Jefferson County, guess what? You are God's chosen instrument to Jefferson County. The place that you work, you are God's chosen instrument to the place that you work. The fact that you're in this church this morning, you are God's chosen instrument to this church. Acts 17, 26. It says, excuse me, 
For one man, he has made, I'm sorry, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Paul, later on, when he's in Athens, he's going to tell them, the reason you live where you live is because God has determined it. You are God's chosen instrument for this time and this place. It is vital that we teach new believers their identity in Christ. But the second thing was that Ananias was to help Saul understand that he was going to suffer for Christ. As believers, we are to live lives that are contrary to the world around us. Now, that doesn't mean we get to act like a jerk. We don't get to, we don't get, to get up on our high horse and thumb our noses at people and be like, I can't believe you talk that way. What are you doing? We don't get to be that person. That's not what God, God didn't call us to be a jerk. And if God called you to be a jerk, you better get a different spiritual gift. Okay? All right, some of y'all are smirking, but I'm just throwing it out there. All right? God didn't call us to be ugly or nasty. Instead, we, are, we live our lives by different, a different set of standards. We live our life according to a different set of rules, meaning... The American dream tells us you try to acquire as much stuff as you possibly can, to get as much money as you can, to be as wealthy, to be as as famous, to be as popular, all of these things. God tells us that we have those things to be a blessing to other people, that we are to to do those things. That's why on Sunday evenings we're going through the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus laid out for his disciples what it means to live a divergent life, a life that is different from the culture around them. Our lives are to be remarkably different from an unbelieving world. And because of this, we will face opposition and we will face suffering. Now, there are some preachers, I'm going to quote something. I'm not going to say the name, but I think y'all know where I'm going. God wants us to process. I I should put on a big smile. All right. This is on Facebook, too. That's going to be a good one. God wants us to prosper financially to have plenty of money to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. There are some preachers who will teach you that. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a lie. And if you are buying into the lie that God wants you to have lots of money, you're in for a long road. You're in for a world of hurt. And what's going to end up happening is if you buy into that, if you believe the fact that God wants you to prosper and God wants you to have money. I'm going to go off on a tangent here for just a second. All right. There are plenty of people who are good Christians, who are faithful in their, in, in their ministry and love the Lord. And you know what? They have no money whatsoever. And so if we believe that God wants us to have lots of money, and we look at this guy over here who doesn't have two dimes to rub together, but he is faithful and he loves Jesus, how do we, how do we uh, uh, reconcile those two things? Thank you. Tina was giving me the words to say there. All right, We cannot buy into that. What God wants us is God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to serve him, and God wants us to bring glory to his name. Sometimes he will bless us financially. Sometimes he will bless you financially, not so that you can acquire all kinds of stuff to yourself, but so that you can turn around and be a blessing to the world around us. Anyway, now that I'm off my soapbox, let's keep going. Um, As believers, we need to tell new Christians that there are going to be difficult times. If we don't, we're setting them up for failure and we're setting them up to doubt their faith. 1 John chapter 3, yeah, 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And 1 Peter 4.12 says, 
dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeals come, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Having, having suffering in your life is part of the Christian walk. And what it is, is it's, it's intended to draw you closer to God so that you will lean into Jesus and rest in him in those times. The third thing, though, after the guidance of the believer and the knowledge of the believer in these things, the third thing that a new believer needs is he needs the partnership of the believer. Let me read verses 17 through 18. These are some of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Ananias entered, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, catch these two words, brother Saul. Let me say that again. He, went, he placed his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After the vision from God and the explanation of what he was to tell Saul, Ananias made his way to Judas's house on Straight Street. He entered the house and went to Saul and put his hands on him. In my head, when I was thinking this, I don't think that he just went up and just laid his hands on his shoulders. I think he went up and put his arm around him. Now, this was the man who had caused so much pain and so much suffering and had thrown so many of Ananias' friends into prison and had voted to have them be put to death. This was a man who Ananias, by all human aspects, should have hated. He should have heard, oh, he's in there, he's in there fasting and praying, he can't see anything? Good. Let him sit there. What was Ananias' response? He went in and put his arm around him and called him Brother Saul. Let's look at what that means here. Not only do new believers need our guidance and our knowledge and knowledge of our identity in Christ, they also need our partnership. They need us to come alongside them and walk with them and guide them as they are maturing in Christ. A new believer needs that partnership, uh, the partnership of a believer who will demonstrate faithfulness to him to show him what it means to be a believer in everyday life. He needs someone who will pray for him and pray with him. So often we tell people, I'm going to pray for you. Very rarely do we change that preposition and say, I'm going to pray with you. Because we like, we like to say, I'm going to pray for you, and then we do this. Do, 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 do. And we already we did our responsibility over here because we said, I'm going to pray for you. What we don't do is we don't say, I'm going to pray with you. You know why? Because it's inconvenient. It's awkward, right? And those are things that we don't like to have. They need that. They need someone who will teach him the Bible. The Bible's a difficult book to understand, right? There are all these lists of names and places and historical events and, and things that like, oh, what, he did what to him? He, he, he took a knife and stabbed it in his belly, and he was so fat, the, the fat rolled over it, and he couldn't see the knife. What? Like, it, it, a new believer, it, it's in Judges, trust me. All right? I'm the pastor. I know what I'm talking about. All right? He needs someone who's going to help him to understand the Bible. Because what, what it, it, and I did this, when I, was, when I was younger, as I was maturing in my faith, you know what I would do? I'd try to read the book of Daniel. 
Because there's cool stories in Daniel. There's Daniel in the lion's den. There's the, 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 the three dudes getting thrown in, the, in the, the, the fiery furnace and all that stuff. But then you get into all those prophecies and you're like, what? What am I reading? And then Obadiah and Habakkuk and, and all those things. A new believer needs someone to walk them through that and help them to understand those things. He also needs someone who's going to love him, to rejoice with him, and to cry with him. Again, it's inconvenient. It's awkward. But that's what we need. We need someone to celebrate and to suffer with him. Be there for the good times and the bad times. In doing so, what we are doing as maturing believers is we're showing a new believer what it is to live out our lives for Christ. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was telling the, the, the believers at Corinth, follow my example. Live your life the way that I'm living mine because I'm trying to live my life just like Christ. Second, a new believer needs someone who will partner with him and recognize him as a brother. A new believer needs someone who's going to accept him regardless of the things that he had done in the past. Right? When somebody gets saved, they bring a whole lot of baggage with them. They bring a whole lot of sins and things. And what a new believer doesn't need is for us to be over here clucking our tongue and like, I know what you did last night. I know what you were doing last week. All right? You were smooching with my brother. That's for you, Jack. All right? That's from home. Never mind. All right. Ananias could have rejected Saul or, treat him, or treated him with hostility, but instead he embraced him as a member of the family. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to warm up to this. He went in and immediately put his arms around him, said, you are now a part of my family. Saul knew his past and what he had been planning just three days earlier. And here's the kicker, Ananias knew it too. Ananias knew his name was on Saul's list of people that were going to go to jail. And instead of holding that against him, Ananias went in and said, I'm forgiving you. He didn't, the, the scripture doesn't say he said those words, but there is so much in that moment where he put his arms around Saul and called him brother. I'm looking forward to the opportunity when I get to heaven to sit down with Saul. Well, his name's Paul now, but I'm going to sit down with him and say, tell me what that moment was like. Let me know what it was like for you to realize that you had been forgiven and you are now a part of the family. Now, yesterday, I told you before I came up here, I attended a conference about churches here in West Virginia. And I got to tell you, there are some people that are praying for our state and working with churches here in West Virginia, and they love the state of West Virginia. I've lived here. Tina, how long have we been here? 14 years. Okay, we're, we're coming up on 14, maybe 13 years, something like that. I'm finally coming to grips with the fact that my exile here in West Virginia is probably permanent. All right? I, I still love Virginia, but I'm coming to grips with the fact that I have been permanently exiled here in West Virginia. And as a result of that, I'm learning to love this state. I'm learning to love the people of this state. You're probably going, well, why did it take you 13 years? What's wrong with that? Right? All right? I'm a Virginia boy. Right? People who are from Virginia love Virginia. We love everything about Virginia. I'm coming to grips with it. But one of the things that they said, and I don't want to give you the numbers, um, one of the things that they said was that the overwhelming majority of West Virginians are unchurched. 
okay? One of uh, the overwhelming majority of people that call West Virginia home do not have a church. The number was astronomical. If I told you what it was, you'd immediately break out your phone and, and, and try to Google it. And I checked with them. I said, listen, I've got people in my church that as soon as I say these numbers, they're going to break out their phone. And they assured me that these numbers were accurate. And they said that one of the most, one of the, the, the counties in West Virginia that had the highest number of lost people, meaning do not attend an evangelical church, was Jefferson County the county that we live in right now. I mean, he told me that number and I quickly went like this because I didn't want to see anybody to see how devastating that was to me. Excuse me. The, I just said this. The presenters also stated that Jefferson County is devastatingly lost. Like the, the number you heard, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And if I'm sitting here and I'm telling you that 95%, oh, I just told you the number, all right? And he said there's probably a, a, a plus or minus going in there. He didn't know how scientific the, um, scientific the, the survey was or, or this, but the guy who did it is a pretty, uh, pretty well-respected missiologist, studies these kind of things. If you can hear that 95% of Jefferson County is lost and going to hell, and that does not destroy you, something is wrong. If you, can, if you can go, think about this. You go to Walmart this afternoon and you count 100 people and according to this statistic, only five of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you can hear that and not get crushed by that, something is wrong, right? If you can walk out this door and be like, I don't care. Or, or yeah, that's, that's good, yeah, whatever. Something is wrong and we've got to get that fixed. I went home yesterday. I mean, I was, I was driving, I was praying, I, I was overwhelmed by this. And we need to be intentional about engaging our community. And I think we do a great job. We do a good job of reaching out to people, but we need to be, make sure that we are being intentional about sharing the gospel. Because it is only through the gospel that that number of 95% or 90%, if we, even if we said 80%, that's still a, a horrible number. If we're not intentional about sharing the gospel and be willing to get out of our comfort zone and put our preferences aside and understand that sometimes we have to change things, even if they've been that way for 50 or 60 years because it's going to help us to reach people, if we're not willing to do that, something is wrong. And I, I'm preaching as much to myself this morning as I am to you. This isn't even in my notes. I'm just going, I'm just going off here. But here's the thing. As we are seeing people come to faith in Jesus, and if we get overwhelmed by that number, if that grips our heart and we say, that is not right, we have to do something about that. When that happens and we start sharing our faith with people and people start coming to faith in Jesus, you know what they're going to need? They're going to need us to walk alongside them, to teach them the things that we've been taught so that they can mature and then turn around and teach those same things to people that, are, uh, that they're sharing their faith with. That is exactly what happened here. Ananias went to Saul. Saul then was taught those things. He went out. And the reason that we're sitting here today is because Ananias was faithful and Ananias was obedient. And he went and he shared these things with Paul. 
Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, as we get ready to pray here, I'm going to share one verse with you. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 2. If you did the three circles with us, you know that um, uh, Pastor Scroggins, I can't remember which one he is. There's a couple of them floating around out there. Pastor Scroggins uh, used this verse quite a bit. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 says this. He told them, this is Jesus talking, the harvest is abundant. The harvest is abundant. The people that are out here in Jefferson County, in Shenandoah Junction, in Charlestown, in all of those places, the harvest is abundant. They're waiting for us. But here's the kicker. The workers are few. They're waiting for us. The workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this passage of scripture, Lord. I thank, you, uh, I thank you for Ananias and the fact that he was sensitive to your voice and that he was obedient to you. Uh, he, was, he was willing to get up even though it was inconvenient and it was difficult. And he knew that there were risks and hazards involved, that he was willing to go and, and give the message that you had given him to Saul. And as a result, Saul was then able to go out and he was able to, to share the gospel with so many people. And Lord, yesterday as I was sitting there in that, uh, in that training, in that seminar, and I, and I heard Dr. Hennard and uh, Danny share with us these numbers about our community, Lord, and just how overwhelming and devastating it was. Lord, it really shook me up. And, and Father, I, I shared it this morning in hopes that it would shake some people here in our church up as well. Lord, I ask that you would take this seed that, that was given to me by the Holy Spirit, and now I'm sharing it. Lord, help it to grow into a fruition, Lord. Help us to, to get past our preferences, to get past the things of, of this is our church, and it, it's us four and no more, and, and to, to be willing to go out and to, to share the gospel with, with the boys and girls of this neighborhood who don't do things the way that we do them here in this church. Lord, the ones who come in in the, in the goofy mask and, and who like to, to do things just to get a rise out of people. Lord, help us to go and share the gospel with them. Help those, the, those people that don't smell the way that we do or talk the way that we do or dress the way that we do. Lord, help us to see them for the people that you see them are as a child of God made in your image, just waiting for somebody to share the gospel with them. Lord, help us to be shaken to our core as a result of this. Father, I pray that you would... Uh, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few, Lord. Help me to be one of those workers. Help the people of this church to be one of those workers. And Father, if there's anyone hearing my voice who is who, who is said, I'm not even in the game yet. I'm not a believer, Lord, that today would be the day that that would happen. Whether they're watching via Facebook, this gets shared out later, or listening on the, the audio that we'll, we'll post later, or even here in the room today, Lord, that today would be the day that there would be uh, rejoicing in heaven because uh, someone has given their heart to you. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to, to disciple, to love others, and to, to help them to grow, to be more like you so that this story can be repeated time and time again. Lord, I ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.